Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. From NFL Research, the 2022 AFC West, set to be the first AFC division in which every week one starter is a prior pro bowler since the 2012 AFC West. Outkick 360 rolls on hour number two. So the big trade today, Russell Wilson headed to the Denver Broncos. He joins Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, and Derek Carr as the starters in the AFC West. In 2012, the same division had Peyton Manning, Phillip Rivers, Carson Palmer, and Matt Castle uh, coming off that season that Castle had with, um, with New England. How about that? That's such an unimpressive list of quarterbacks, too. Well, I guess, yeah, not the, uh, not the first couple ones. Or Carson Palmer. Matt Castle really throws a wrench in that whole, that whole list. And I love Matt Castle. Well, you've got Derek Carr in the AFC West, who's the worst among this group of quarterbacks now. I think he would be drafted fourth. And that's probably the best fourth option that we've ever seen in a division. I can't think of a better fourth option at quarterback. John McClain joins us. As we begin hour number two in a stacked news day, Aaron Rodgers gets paid. Devontae Adams uh, receives the franchise tag. That, that deadline has now passed, and there's been a handful of tags handed out. Um, and meanwhile, Russell Wilson, he's being shipped out. He's being shipped to Denver in exchange for a haul of draft picks and players headed to Seattle. John, hope you're doing well. Great to see you. It's great to see you guys. Thank you very much. Plenty of news to hit, both uh, coming off the combine, uh, yesterday's news with Calvin Ridley. But let's start with today, and let's start with Russell Wilson being traded to Denver. What do you make of the Broncos acquiring Wilson after they know that Rodgers is staying in Green Bay and right after? I don't know how they sweetened the pot, but they did. They Surely they did. And they got the deal done at the same exact time that Rodgers is – announcing that, yes, in fact, he is returning to Green Bay. First of all, Denver was seriously interested in Deshaun Watson last year before his legal issues started piling up with the 22 civil lawsuits for sexual assault, misconduct. And the thing about Seattle, it's pretty clear the Seahawks were not going to extend Russell Wilson has three years left on his contract, maybe two after this. He'll be 34 next season. It's a really good deal for the Broncos because they figure they have everything in place. Locke was not a starter. No offense. It's like another number one pick. He was number one two years ago, a good receiving tight end. So I look at it as like three ones, two twos, and a five, which is more, not counting the other two players, including Shelby Harris, defensive lineman. That is more than the Texans were asking last season for Deshaun Watson, and they were going to take three ones, three and a five from Denver. Everybody in Houston now, well, does this make Seattle uh, have an idea 
repackaging those picks to try to get Watson. He's under contract for four more years and is 26 years old. And here, of course, there's still other teams that need quarterbacks that Watson could be part of the package. But I think it's a good deal for Wilson. He had a no-trade clause, obviously. He approved it. Not so sure what Seattle's going to do at quarterback, but it certainly is not. Guy can't be Drew Locke. Well, and John, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Watson w- with this story because what is the cause and effect of this for the Texans and Deshaun Watson? Or is there one? Does this give you that huge price that the Broncos had to give up to get Russell Wilson? And then you subtract away from that, which could help teams that want Deshaun Watson and maybe hurt the Texans a bit. Does it reset the market or reshape it in any way? I'm curious if you think there's any cause and effect with this with now teams that are out there that are desperate for a great quarterback are looking at the Texans Deshaun Watson and thinking, okay, now that this has happened, we can make this happen with the Texans. Well, Chad, like you know, there's 22 reasons that's keeping this deal from being made of course. between the Texans and another team. And until those 22 uh, civil suits are settled, are cleared up, and uh, they're not going to be able to trade him. But if he does reach settlements, there will be a lot of teams interested in Watson because he's a great player. He's 26. He's starting the four-year extension. And he has come to the last time he played, 2020, he was tremendous and in every way. And that was without DeAndre Hopkins and with a running game that was 31st and the defense was 30th. So I would think there'd be a lot of teams. But I think, you know, Nick Casario, it's okay. I want three players, two ones, two twos, and a five. He's not, I don't think he's going to get that. I think that was a one-shot deal. The fact that he has for three ones spaced over – three years, if there's a team that feels that it's competitive and will have salary cap space to be able to not have to have three low number one picks. And if you trade for Watson, you're thinking those picks are going to be low and that would not make the deal because when you start getting draft choices again in four years, he's going to be playing another eight, 10, 12 years. Presuming the Watson stuff sifts out at some point, do you think the Commanders can be a, a contender for him uh, 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 on the on the optics? They're under fire. They're in front of Congress for internal mistreatment of women. Uh, if they were to be the team that went and got Deshaun Watson, even if he settles all of these cases, um, the statement that that would be making would uh, be an awfully ugly one. Paul, I did a Washington talk show yesterday, and they were talking about all the rumors about Watson. And I said, guys, let me ask you something. The The Washington football team, Nate Commanders, has been investigated for the last two years for sexual misconduct in the organization. It paid $10 million at one point in, in uh, fines or settlements. I can't remember what it was. And Congress is involved now, as you mentioned, Paul, do you really want a quarterback who's coming off these charges? Even if they're settled, I would think that Washington would go, want to go in another direction. But what direction do they go to? Jimmy Garoppolo coming out for shoulder surgery on his throwing shoulder? I mean, do they do they go after Teddy Bridgewater? Do they look for a Drew Locke type? Do they try to draft a quarterback and develop him in a year in which the quarterback crop is not impressive that's what i'm 
and gets them, they'll do ultimately instead of getting involved in the Watson sweepstakes. John, how much does this help the Packers, not just to obviously have Aaron Rodgers, back-to-back MVP, but also to have some closure, you know, with what they're going to do with Devontae Adams now, with, with Aaron Rodgers being in the fold for the foreseeable future, to have an entire offseason where they know, okay, this is what we have. No one's disgruntled right now. We're going for a Super Bowl over the next two to three years. How much will it help that organization? Well, it'll help the organization, of course, because but they've been to one Super Bowl with with uh, Aaron Rodgers, and they won it in 2010. I'm thinking about those poor talk show hosts in Wisconsin because they're going to be, well, what do we talk about now? The Brewers? Oh, wait, they're, they're not playing baseball, the Greek freak. Yeah, that's what we'll talk about. And I would imagine that I know what it's like here talking about Watson every day for almost, well, for more than a year. And everybody hoping at some point there's a solution. But the thing about the Packers, I never thought he was leaving Green Bay. I've told you guys that every time I was asked, I always thought it was about the money. And I think it's great. I thought it was interesting. He came out on social media and said it wasn't true, the contract or the numbers, only that he would be back next season. But Rodgers has got to have his ego massaged. We all know that. Seems to me like in his later years, he's become an egomaniac. But he's a great quarterback. Pretty sure when his time comes for the Hall of Fame, Paul and I won't need anybody to stand up and quote his stats. We vote for him immediately. But the big thing now for Green Bay is they got to talk about, oh, yeah, we had home field advantage again, and we got beat. What are we going to do now that Aaron's back? Can we finally get over that hump and get back to the Super Bowl? John, he Aaron Rodgers was going to have a top four cap hit. Um, and now, because of this new money that's been in this extension, um, he's getting $153 million guaranteed. That's the report from NFL.com of the $200 million that this four-year deal offers him and that he will eventually sign. Um, but... For the, for the franchises and organizations that over the coming next two or three weeks are going to make roster decisions and moves, and the Packers will be some of them, uh, make some of these big moves to get under the, the salary cap. But for the organizations like Dallas and others who are going to point to the cap as reasons why they can't be competitive in the free agent market, does this, does this make everything just, you know, does this blow up any, any argument that they have that they can't make something work to pay their biggest stars in exchange for keeping them around? They certainly can. Eventually, the Piper's going to have to be paid, and fans and media are usually understanding. Whatever Green Bay's general manager, Brian Gunnikins, does now, pushing everything forward when the time comes that Rodgers is gone and they're bad and they have to start over, I think people will certainly understand it. And you can take that road if you want to. And I saw a tweet today from a longtime Cowboys beat writer saying, if the Packers can uh, franchise Devontae Adams and re-sign Aaron Rodgers, what's up with the Cowboys having to cut Amari Cooper because he's paid twenty million? Yeah, yeah, and, and I he came he he comes to mind and look, his production hasn't met the contract that he received but he's going to be a salary cap casualty and we'll see some on defense for, for green Bay. But ultimately 
fans make the trade. You keep Rodgers and Adams in the fold, and Green Bay, while they're uh, at the top of some really salary cap hell right now, they'll be within the guidelines and structure of the league, and they still keep their top two guys. I want to get your thoughts on this. Um, what do you think the Indianapolis Colts were thinking as Russell Wilson was traded today to Denver? Because if I'm the Colts, and I know Carson Wentz isn't the guy, the guy to go get is Russell Wilson. And it turns out he was available. Well, first of all, they're thinking, man, I wish we had a number one draft choice. But they traded to Philadelphia for Carson Wentz. When I look around at the NFL, I'm thinking, who's available that's better than Carson Wentz? Obviously, Watson, but they're not trading him within the division. Do they trade for Jimmy Garoppolo? Is he better than Wentz? I don't think so. Thing about Carson Wentz, whatever it was that made general manager Chris Ballard and Coach Frank Wright not support him publicly when the media have asked, it tells me something's going on there behind the scenes and Wentz is not a good teammate. Now, that came out in an anonymous quote story two years ago in Philadelphia, and it tells me a lot. If you're willing to think you're a playoff contender and you're going to have a fifth starting quarterback in five years, but who or whom, and you don't have a first-round pick anyway. So I don't know what they're going to do. It wouldn't surprise me if they don't ultimately keep Wentz. Maybe they're trying to send a message to him, says something like, Bud, what you've been doing off the field is not what we want. You better get with, get with the program. And they say he's been working out with his receivers despite the organization not committing to him for a second season. The next big trade Buzz immediately turns to a different position at, at running back slash wide receiver slash do-it-all guy. Christian McCaffrey um, is reportedly available um, if, if you are willing to trade a first-round pick to Carolina. Do you buy that? And if so, with his injury history, is he worth that? Injury history and the fact that he's undersized now. He's a great receiver. He needs a smaller role. I think the fact people saw what Debo Samuel did as a runner and receiver, and that would make a guy like McCaffrey even more valuable, but he can't take the pounding because he's not as big. And if he's traded, that's not going to make them better. That's not going to help Matt Rule save his job next season. Yeah. And Rule has final say on personnel over there, so maybe they've just cast a line in the water and seeing if anybody will bite. You know, I'm still thinking they want to trade for Watson. They were really interested in him last year before the lawsuits piled up, and they do have the sixth overall pick, which I'm sure the Texans would like to have. After that, I don't think they picked in the fourth round. So maybe the Texans who don't have a running back would see. Well, we'll take your one, we'll take McCaffrey, and then we'll take the rest in the next two years. We talked a little bit there about Deshaun Watson. Headline from the New York Times women who filed criminal complaints of sexual misconduct against Deshaun Watson have been subpoenaed to appear before grand jury on Friday. We'll look at that and talk with John McClain of the Houston Chronicle next. Hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360. We are live from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine across the Outkick Network. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. John McClain with us on Outkick 360. You can follow him on Twitter at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. We're live from 6th and Peabody in Nashville. Yeehaw Beer Old Smoky Moonshine made here daily, sold here daily, and plenty more happening here each and every day. Next time you visit Nashville, be sure to check us out at 6th and Peabody. So several women who have filed criminal complaints against Deshaun Watson have been subpoenaed to appear before a grand jury on Friday, according to the New York Times. And um, Watson um, could also be called, but uh, his attorney, Harden, says it's useless because he just told Watson to plead the fifth if he's on the stand. You see potential for progress on this whole thing out of that, John, or merely incremental? And we may, we may have John's uh, muted. There. I'm back. There we go. There the we grand go. jury, the grand jury has been looking into the Watson situation for quite a while. If a grand jury hears that evidence and decides to indict him, then he's not going to be tried anytime soon. You know, the police are still investigating. NFL is waiting for the Houston police investigation, and so they're no closer to a solution. Watson is being deposed starting Friday on uh, about the women who did not file a criminal complaint and have already been deposed. It's very confusing. All anybody wants to know, is it over? Is he going to be traded? But anytime you hear somebody and the words grand and jury in there, that is scary. And I'm betting he's wishing that he had settled these last year when he had a chance. John McClain with us. John, Calvin Ridley suspended for the year at least. Um, he's eligible for reinstatement if he applies for reinstatement next February uh, for betting on football over a five-day span where uh, sports, an online betting service in Florida turned him in. At least that's the conclusion based on the partnerships of these things with the NFL what do you make of that, and, and what do you make of the suspension? And I was just, maybe I've just been under a rock. There have been several players suspended for betting on football over the years, and for whatever reason, I haven't, it hasn't been top of mind for me. Well, you weren't born when the most important ones were suspended. Yeah, but one that happened two out. years ago. Yeah, but nobody ever heard of that guy. <laughs> yeah, well, I've still, still never heard of it. His name never came up till he got suspended, and it was gone, poof, like a puff of smoke. And now he's Shaw's his name. Yeah. Now he's getting mentioned again. The the most famous, of course, were Alex Karras and uh, Paul Hornick, great Detroit defensive tackle and a great uh, Packers running back and kicker. They were suspended for a season. And then Art Schleister, the quarterback, fourth overall in '82, he had a gambling problem that just kept him going back and forth to prison. He just couldn't beat it. And then that guy last, whenever it was, 
now, of course, Calvin Ridley. And a lot of people think the NFL is being too tough on him considering how the NFL embraces gambling. But anybody that's been in a locker room, you see those signs against gambling. They're told that from the time they start paying competitive sports, especially in college and NFL, dims the rules, and he broke the rules. And I heard a lengthy interview with Jeff Schultz, who's covered the Falcons for a long time uh, today, and he said they don't know if he's addicted to gambling, if he did it one time. They haven't gotten to the bottom of it yet. But the bottom line was he was stupid, and it doesn't matter what the circumstances were. And they're going to make they're going to make an example out of it. They don't want anybody else to go, ah, well, he only got a few games. They know it's against the rules to violate the substance abuse policy, but players still do it. And, and it costs them a lot of money that they think it's worth it. So they're risking. And they don't want people uh, to think that games could be crooked because then you're not going to bet. And there was a report recently, the owners were told, let's see, I think they're going to split 300 million on gambling the first year, and it soon could be up to a billion a year that the NFL is taking in from gambling. And Paul, uh, it's the same suspension Shaw received two years ago, the full year that they handed down to Ridley. I'm surprised the tone of a lot of the public on this, John. When he comes back, say he serves the suspension, doesn't do anything else in the meantime, uh, wants to come back after uh, the mental stuff that he's gone through. Uh, and somebody wants him back. Every every time he drops a pass or misses a block, <laughs> he's it's he's going to be heavily heavily scrutinized here, and and with good cause, I I think. I mean that's the door he's opened by doing this. And you know that when teams are talking to their players, they're going to point that out. You know he's tainted forever. Even the local fans will wonder about it if he fumbles and he's running for the goal line. And that's a stigma that he's going to have for the rest of his career. Now, will he play? Yes, he's a good receiver. He's got mental health issues that he dealt with this past season. And fact is, he's going to have to have thick skin because you can imagine when he comes out and he's on the road, those fans are going to be brutal. They're going to be brutal on social media. And that's something that they're going to point out to every player in the league. Do you want to be calvin ridley and of course nobody will it's a good thing he's not in baseball he'd be banned from lifetime they'd be saying say it ain't so joe but you know i'll give him the benefit of the doubt on this i do think he'll he'll feel some of that heat he would 100 percent feel that heat if he bet against the falcons and according to reports he did not he bet on the falcons to win so if he's dropping passes it's mainly because he just sucks that day that's that's how i would view it because Calvin Ridley in the $1,500 bet that he claims he placed and that the NFL's investigated, at least bet on the team that he plays for. And that could be the case, and it could not be the case. We don't know what all he bet on. It's like Jeff Schultz said in Atlanta. So we don't know if he's addicted. We don't know how many he, how much he's gambled. All we know is this part, yeah, the and $1,500. And maybe that's all there was, but nobody knows for sure. And no matter what happens to him, the rest of his career, there's going to be people that are going to that are going to kill him on it and think that he did it on purpose, 
which is grossly unfair. And, and Chad, you mentioned this yesterday. He's certainly not the only player that is on an app somewhere or has well, someone with an account. That's what I want to get into. And maybe as my years tick up on this earth, I just get more and more cynical about everything. But just like when I think, you know, I see a, a, a athlete of any kind test positive for marijuana or another substance, I don't think, boy, that's really dumb. That must be one of the few football players that smoke weed. I think that's really dumb because they typically know when they're going to get tested. Yeah. And if you get popped for it, it's more a stupidity test than it is a drug test. And then I see Calvin Ridley get popped for you know opening up an account and with a, a, a Florida-based online sports wagering company under his name and think, that's just dumb. It doesn't make me think current NFL players aren't gambling through their cousin or telling someone else <laughs> where to lay money and then taking part of it. Um, and, John, this goes further than just covering the spread. If I know, if I'm a receiver in the league and I know I'm not in the game plan that week that much and the over-under for catches is five and a half, I could easily go get someone to place a $2,500 bet on the under in doing that. I mean, am I crazy to think that not everyone in the league is doing this, but a lot more than just Calvin Ridley's doing exactly that? No, I think you've got to be a moron to think that a lot of players are not doing this. They're just smarter about the way they go about it than Ridley was. I think we'd be naive to believe that. And the NFL knows it. They can pound them till the cows come home about the everything that can happen to you if you get caught. But they're not stupid. They know it. They embrace it. They want these young people to get addicted to gambling when they're young. And that way, as they get older and they have more money, they'll bet more money on the NFL that they want their players to be immune to it. You can bet on other sports. You just can't bet on ours. The NFL offseason in full swing now. The combine's complete. And I'll get your thoughts on the combine in a moment. But here we are a week away from the uh, time period where teams can negotiate with potential free agents on any club. And as I look around at the players who were not tagged today, not placed uh, on the franchise tag list. Tyron Matthew, Chandler Jones, Patriots cornerback J.C. Jackson. Um, you've got Ryan Jensen, the center from Tampa Bay. Of course, Harold Landry here in Nashville did not receive the franchise tag. Neither did Hassan Reddick in Carolina. Von Miller did not receive the franchise tag in L.A. Um, there are others, but there's certainly uh, Allen Robinson's one. Allen Robinson's going to be a free agent at wide receiver. This is going to be an interesting start to free agency, free agency, especially on the defensive side of the football, John. Landry uh, and Reddick were double-digit sack guys last season. Everybody would like to have something like Trey Hendrickson. He was a double-digit sack guy with New Orleans. They didn't franchise him. They didn't sign him. He went to Cincinnati, had a great season, helped the Bengals go to the Super Bowl. You know, you'd think, some of these guys are still going to get re-signed before the league year begins. Every once in a while, if you don't have a guy under contract and you let him go out there and test the market, every once in a while, he'll give you a chance to re-sign him. But most of the time, at 3 o'clock on March 16th, if you don't have them under contract, they're gone. So a few of these guys you mentioned, especially the younger ones like Landry and Reddick, have the best chance of being re-signed, where the other guys are at least 30 they have a chance to go sign maybe a one-year deal. Tyron Matthew is 30, but Jensen, I think, is more over 30. 
And Matthew is a great leader, turned his career around. I saw it here before he went to Kansas City and helped him win a Super Bowl. But some teams have to make tough decisions. And when you get older, you got to take the money where you get it. There's no time for sentimentality. We were talking last year, joking last year during the season with the Texans about how many guys had signed one-year deals uh, to, to play in the first year of the new regime. Um, you're going to have a billion new guys to get to know down there? Not like last year, Paul. Uh, we calculated from the week that Nick Serio was hired in January through the end of the season, he made almost 100-player transactions. And he's not going to make that many because they have unearthed some nuggets. Now they got to try to re-sign people like defensive tackle Malik Collins, outside linebacker Camus Grugier-Hill. They may re-sign Desmond King, who had a good season, and they're not going to have many on offense. And they re-signed two or three guys that's contracts were expiring. They extended them for a year. So there's not going to be the revolving door at NRG Stadium like there has been in the past year, but it's still with a full complement of draft choices for the first time since 2018. They've only had one first-round pick since 2018. That was offensive tackle Titus Howard. They have nine picks overall, so they're going to get a little younger because they're just going to have so many draft choices. Had Lovey Smith already spoken last week when you talked to John at the Combine? Or was no, I d- no, I don't think so. So – um, this was on the same day, John, and this this was Thursday or Friday, where Casario was asked about wearing the headset, and then soon after, um, I forgot what show he was on, but Lovey Smith went on and said, "Hey, we've got a coaching staff that can handle that." Um, do you get the sense that Casario will treat Lovey Smith the same way he did David Cully? Well, the same way he talked, he treated Bill Belichick. He was on the headset for years in New England in the press box, communicating with Belichick and uh, and Josh McDaniels, offensive coordinator. Belichick wanted him up there as an extra set of eyes because he'd been a coach two times. That's what he did here, same thing as he did there. I remember writing about it three different times, but later in the season when Cully talked about it, and he and Romeo Cornell were up there for advice if they needed it. People tried to act like Casario was calling plays, like they had all the time in the world. There was no clock. Taking No, the head coach controls game days in their contracts, and he was there for that. Lovey Smith said, well, I don't need it. Lovey's head coach for the third time. And uh, if he, I'm guessing that Casario's still going to be up there, and if Lovey needs him, he's there. Yeah, it was odd, John, because you're right. Belichick wanted him on headset, so he's on the headset. Um, it sounded like with the two different answers, Lovey Smith wasn't interested in that happening. And then Casario was kind of like, oh, well, it's just to consult on whether or not to challenge. <laughs> like basically like, no, no, I'm, I'm still going to do it, but I'm just going to be there if he wants to buzz over to me on challenge consultation. Do you think ultimately it's he's not going to be on headset this go-around with Lovey Smith based on what he said? No, I think he'll be in a press box on a headset because he's been doing it for seven or eight years. And I would think if you're a head coach, you want as many people there as possible with a lot of experience, whether it's Romeo Cornell or whether it's uh, Nick Casario or your coaches. But you can't have too many people. As long as they're not talking at the same time and they're there when you need them, what does it matter? 
John, Cam Robinson, uh, tackle for the, the Jacksonville Jaguars, among those uh, with the franchise tag today at the deadline. Does that mean, that? and do you take that to mean in what will be McLean's, I don't know, maybe it's mock draft five or six, uh, that they're going defense with the number one overall pick because they tagged Robinson at tackle? They have two. They have their two tackles back from last year, and if they did say take Alabama tackle Evan Neal or North Carolina State tackle Ikiquano, both of them started at guard at one point in their college careers and could do it. That sometimes happens to tackles their first year. That happened to Laramie Tunsil in Miami, and so uh, if I were them, I would go after Aiden Hutchinson and put him opposite Josh Allen and have a pretty terrific pass rush to some to get after AFC South quarterbacks. But on the other hand, Aiden Hutchinson, he doesn't help protect Trevor Lawrence. And even though they had those two tackles last year, Lawrence had a lot of issues as a rookie. So if I'm them, I'm Doug Peterson and Trent Baalke, I'm doing whatever I can with the first pick to help my prize quarterback because they need him to show a lot of improvement. Seattle now at nine with Denver's first round pick. Are you presuming like I am that 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 they maybe get their hands on the first quarterback there, liking uh, Pickett or Willis, and and that's the guy that goes with Drew Locke as they start to to rebuild? I don't think they would have made this trade if they hadn't targeted another quarterback because they know Locke's not the answer. Could be Malik Willis. Could be Kenny Pickett somebody they're willing to let sit a year until they're pressured to play them, or they could take those packages of, of picks and players they got and get Deshaun Watson for that. So I think if they're interested in Watson, that'd be a place that he would want to go, I would imagine. He had a great game his rookie year in Seattle, and the Seahawks beat them here last year, but of course he wasn't playing. But uh, if they're going to use that pick on one of these quarterbacks, they're going to be reaching. You watch the combine as a as a TV show uh, for the first time ever, strictly as a TV show. What did you think of of the product? Well, I've always watched it when I got home from the combine. This time since I didn't go, we know how I late those day. nights were, John. When you're getting home at three in the morning from the combine, <laughs> it's it's not that good. It's a little blurry. Yeah, those were those when I was young, going from bar to bar and club to club late at night. Uh, but I like watching it. I've taped it. I've watched the positions and the players I'm interested in. And I have to say only one school in history has had two players run sub uh, four, three forties. And that would be those fighting Baylor bears. And they also had a safety ran a four, three, six. And so I watched players. I watched positions. I didn't have to know that the people, the teams were really upset because they were blasting music for the fans. They finally got them to kill it, and they were showing the NFL Network feed in the stadium for the fans instead of the players who were working out. And teams in their suites and stands did not like that. They had to use their binoculars to see who was working out. So they're going to go back to Indy. That's got to change. And that's not on Indianapolis. That's on the NFL. They make the decision to let the fans in. They should be worried about the teams a whole lot more than they're worrying about fans. You know, we, we, we sometimes make too much about 40 times, but this is collectively a very fast draft, quick draft. 
Um, if, if you're a team that's looking to upgrade on speed and there are 32 of them, you can find them, including defensive linemen and offensive linemen, which aren't going to be running the 40 all that often. But, man, there's some explosion in the trenches. There, there are guys, John, that are faster than Patrick Mahomes in this draft at defensive line. First of all, there's been only one guy who was among the fastest who's ever done squat in the NFL, and you guys watched him, running back Chris Johnson. These other super fast or super strong guys generally don't pan out, but it's fun to watch, to see. I think I counted up 33 players who ran incredibly. That was linemen, who offensive linemen who broke five flat. So many others broke uh, – Four four. I've never seen anything like it, which tells me it's fast track, and also that agents do a great job of hiring people to prepare them for running with the exact form. We had a six four corner from U- University of Texas San Antonio, Tariq Woolen, running in a four twos at six four. Now, does that mean he can play cornerback? No, but uh, it means if he has to chase down players. He'd be a really good one to chase down running backs and receivers going a distance. John, leave us with this for those listeners who are just joining us uh, when they want reaction to the Russell Wilson trade. Just your perception of uh, this is one of the biggest trades in NFL history as we look back on it. When you look at the players involved and the draft picks involved and the quarterback involved from Seattle and how it impacts the AFC, yet another solid quarterback joins this AFC group. Absolutely, Jonathan. They gave up one good player, tied in Noah Fant, former number one pick, two ones, two twos, and a five. That gives Seattle a lot to play with if it wanted to trade for a quarterback like Deshaun Watson, or it would help rebuild. I can't imagine Pete Carroll at 70 is interested in a rebuild, especially since he's trying to bring back his great linebacker, Bobby Wagner, who's in his 30s. But it's great for the Broncos and their fans. Seattle people have to be crushed to lose Russell Wilson, not to mention Sierra, his wife. And but <laughs> at least they sound like a team that's got a plan. Well, See, Seattle's loss is Denver's gain when it comes to Sierra. <laughs> Mile high with that's Sierra. Right. Hey, John, thank you as always. We look forward to this each and every week. Have a great week, and we'll catch up with you soon. Jonathan, Paul, and Chadillac, thank you guys very much as always. Time to, time to tap the Rockies. That's right. Follow John on Twitter at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. The NFL offseason in full effect. The UFL, USFL season uh, about to kick off. We'll tell you uh, the first round of television matchups and how they're pairing the networks together. That came out today. We'll also look at the compensation for what Seattle's getting in return and what Denver is giving up to go get another proven quarterback, which has been tough for them to develop. We'll explain that next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Tremendous tweet from Armando Salguero of Outkick.com. He retweets the NFL. and The NFL has sent out a photo 
of uh, <laughs> the quarterbacks of the AFC West. They've got Mahomes and Carr and Herbert, and they've added in Russell Wilson from the official account from the National Football League. And Armando says, Russell Wilson news was so exciting that the NFL doesn't care that the NFL doesn't allow trades until next week. (laughs) So this trade has been announced. It will not be confirmed through the league until the league year begins. Nobody's mentioned Uh, that. But yet the NFL, um, they don't care. They'll tweet it out. They also called Kevin Byard, Keith Byard, too, from the same account. So. Denver's uh, social media, the Broncos' social media, pretty good, has the uh, just a gif of uh, Tom Hanks from... Um, we have that up right now. Yeah, yeah if you're Cast watching, away. you can see Cast it. So with the this handprint. Is, this, this is, is a great job of uh, cooperation between the Seahawks and the Broncos from earlier. Well, so, uh, simultaneously, almost, really well, a little good. bit after... Seattle tweets out, Wilson, where are you? And it's a short video of Tom Hanks and Castaway uh, losing Wilson on his little makeshift raft. And then the Broncos have uh, Tom Hanks finding the bloody, Wilson. The bloody on, handprint uh, as he the makes beach. the face into the volleyball. This is good team social media yes. coordination. Now, I say that uh, it has pissed off everyone in Seattle. Oh, I'm sure they are not. Seattle they are doesn't not want happy. to play any games. About They're not happy with making jokes about no. that with their team account. It's a day of rejoicing in Denver. In Seattle, you should be quiet. Seattle social media, yeah, should be and I get quiet. That. I you get send that. out like one tribute thing yes. and be done. While I laugh at it, I can understand being a diehard Seahawks fan and not finding it as fun. No, no, you wouldn't want any of this if that's your team. So, you, the. Looking through the history of just what they've done since Elway, right? Ooh, um, that's a bad list. Well, let's just look at the recent run. When I say recent, I'm going back to Kyle Orton. So they've got Kyle Orton, then they have Tebow. After Tebow, they land Peyton Manning. Manning, of course, wins the Super Bowl for Denver, goes to two of them. In fact, this is the first franchise where the quarterback who beat a franchise now plays for that franchise in Russell Wilson. In, in the, the Super, Super Bowl. Bowl. Yeah. Um, from Manning, they go with Trevor Simeon, then Joe Flacco. From Joe Flacco to Drew Locke, and then Teddy Bridgewater, and now Russell Wilson. So this is a franchise that's willing, after a series and run of trying to find the guy and not being able to, diving right back in and trying to make another run for it. Well, think, too, about their new GM, who has been on the job how long? A year. I mean, in, in his official capacity. Because Elway stepped away at this time last year, stepped back from running the organization on a day-to-day basis. And Elway's the guy who has absolutely George Payton's his name. sucked at um, finding a quarterback. Payton takes over and makes this big move to get a proven guy who is definitely going to win you games. Well, After Elway struggled and struggled and struggled. The reason Elway is not in that job is because he couldn't find a quarterback. The organization has not drafted a franchise quarterback since John Elway in 1983. That was great for years and years. It went to Brock Osweiler. Well, they're, they're like most that. success. Yep. Look at it. Hutton highlighted it, but Peyton Manning via free agency. Now Russell Wilson. And the third one I'll throw in there is Jake Plummer, a guy they got from Arizona in free agency yeah. that they did not draft. Yep. If I'm naming the higher – that's kind of sad, but the hierarchy of Broncos quarterbacks – Plummer's third. Since, uh, since, you know, not, and I wouldn't even put Greasy in there. Since John Elway, it's Peyton Manning, Russell Wilson, and, and Jake Plummer. And Russell Wilson's yet to play a game for the Broncos. 
The USFL will kick off on Saturday, April 16th. Of course, the New Jersey Generals take on the Birmingham Stallions. That is Easter weekend. That is at 7.30 Eastern on Fox and NBC, the simulcast for the first time since Super Bowl One. Um, but they've released, the, the league released the rest of the TV schedule for week one and week two. And I found it interesting how the partnership goes here through NBC Networks and Fox. So um, Houston with Kevin Sublin takes on Jeff Fisher's Michigan Panthers. That is also uh, that weekend. That will be on Sunday, April 17th. And they'll start on NBC. And then it's a triple header from NBC to USA to FS1 with the Stars taking on the Breakers, the Bandits taking on the Maulers. Then in week two, the uh, big game on Fox is Pittsburgh against Philly. So Fox has the national TV game that week. The other networks are USA, FS1, and then NBC Peacock. And I think they'll rotate back and forth on which network has the big matchup. And right now, they're only going to release two weeks at a time. Um, is that big matchup generally in that time slot? In that, in I, that similar time slot? Yeah, I, I think it's, a, it's the first game of the Saturday matchup on both of these. Um, no, the, the, well, the first one's at night. Right. 6.30 Sat- Central Time. Right. Then the, the, it, there are, Saturday night. Yes. Yeah. But then, you know, starting in week two, they're going to play Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, so they'll have the whole week in there. And then Fox has the big Saturday game that day at 11 a.m. Um, that's that's uh, Pittsburgh and Philly. The cool thing about this is it's $10 tickets. Um, an adult can bring three kids with them for free. And that ticket gets you in. If you buy a $10 ticket in Birmingham for a triple header, you can come and go as you please. It, it's a $10 ticket for one day, uh, one full day at their stadium for the triple headers. It's a great idea by the league, and they're going to get plenty of coverage on national TV starting April 16th. Headlines next on Outkick 360.